This is High Stakes from Gerard Phillips, Kate and Hancock. Thanks for checking out High Stakes. I'm David Schifrin. This conversation, uh, just going to be honest, has a lot of Davids in it. I'm not involved in any way other than this intro, uh, but we do have our CEO, David Gerard, as well as Dr. David Pate, who is of counsel to the firm and the immediate past president and CEO of St. Luke's Health System in Idaho. If you've been listening, you know both David Gerard and David Pate well. Here they cover a wide range of topics, but they all revolve around how the healthcare industry can refocus and in some cases reposition as we begin to move out of the acute phase of the coronavirus pandemic. They discuss both cultural and operational issues with a strong emphasis on what leaders should be focusing on today to ensure a sustainable future for their organizations going forward. If you find this conversation valuable, be sure to follow us on LinkedIn, Gerard Phillips, Kate and Hancock, and subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening now. David, one thing I've, I've so enjoyed about our conversations and the ones to come is that you're able to mix in sort of vision about where organizations are going with some very practical. So we, we like to try to position ourselves as being, we have a vision, but we also are able to help you practically like in this moment. Yes, exactly. Exactly. You, and you seem to carry that around in your, in your head. And that's why I really want to tap into that. All of that um, interests me in, in particular, your eye on other industries to learn from outside of healthcare. In, in this moment, are there other industries you're watching too? Yeah. You know, I think one thing that is very instructive right now, in fact, I'll probably write a, a blog piece about this soon, is if, if you think about pre-COVID, so just 2019, just last year, what were we talking about? We were all talking about, I didn't hear anybody arguing contrary to this, that we need to move from fee-for-service to value, that fee-for-service is the problem that's driving up healthcare costs, giving us inconsistent quality and value, and that's where we need to go. But few are going. And frankly, it's understandable. If you look at other industries who have been confronted with a change to their business model. That's what we're talking about. We're talking about a change to the business model. It's no longer going to be fee-for-service. It's going to be based on value. But if you look at those industries, it's not a successful story by and large. One can look to Kodak. You know, Kodak, you could say, is really in the same, it was in the same position that hospitals and health systems are today. They were acknowledging the business model is going to need to change and will change. They acknowledged that things were going to move from print to digital. They just didn't act. You can look at Blockbuster. Blockbuster, they weren't surprised that uh, business would move from traditional memberships and, and rentals of DVDs and fines, that things were going to go to streaming. They saw that coming. They just couldn't make the change. And it's very hard to make a change in your business model when you're still doing okay in the incumbent business model. So what does that have to do with today? Well, I would tell hospitals and health systems, hey, you're in a really different spot today than you were three months ago. What is your fee-for-service revenue now? It's gone by and large. I mean, it, it's you're, you're, it's not like you're doing well in fee-for-service today. You're not. Uh, it would be exceptional if you are. 
So maybe this is the perfect time to think about should we make that jump to value now? Because we're not we're not sacrificing our incumbent uh, business model. Now, what a lot of hospitals and health systems will end up doing is saying, oh, we can go back. Well, I would encourage you to be cautious about that because it's not just healthcare, uh, traditional healthcare hospitals and uh, health systems that have been impacted. What have we seen happen in the last few months? The growth in telehealth, the growth in telehealth providers, the acceptance by people that, okay, I'll have telehealth services. And there will be other things that are going to continue to disrupt us and eat around our fee-for-service business. If you have a short memory, go back and sit down with your CFO and look at last year and, and see where you were before COVID. Was your payer mix improving or worsening? My guess, it was worsening. Was your inpatient volume increasing or decreasing? My guess is it was decreasing. Were you seeing any signs of new disruptors in your market, in your state, in your region, like private equity, venture capital, uh, physician-owned centers that were taking business that you had away? Look at those things and see, yeah, is that what you want to go back to? Or is now the time to make the change? I can imagine how difficult that is for uh, for stressful moments. My experience, particularly with the leadership team, is it's when you're high stress, you go back to what you know and back to what you can assure your board. I know this works. Heads in bed works. So you're you're asking for a little risk in a risky time, but maybe that's yeah. what leadership is. Well, it it is, and and you know, David, I I hear a lot of people portray it the way you're saying. And, and it's true, it's taking risk. When I made the transition for my health system from fee-for-service to value back in 2017, it crossed my mind I might end up losing my job. But the way that I thought about it is there's also risk in staying with your current situation. Because again, if you look back to where were things before COVID, you know, if your payer mix was improving, if your inpatient volumes were improving, if your market share was improving, if you weren't losing out, outpatient business to competitors, if all those things were true, well, maybe maybe you're going to defy the odds and maybe you can sit tight and fee for service. But if, as I suppose, most of your hospitals and most of your health systems, in fact, were already seeing signs of that deterioration. Is it really avoiding risk to continue with that and to pursue that? And if what you've been saying is true, which again, I haven't heard anybody saying it's not true that we need to move to value. If you really believe that, do you want to wait until your payer mix deteriorates some more? Your inpatient volumes deteriorate some more? You've lost more outpatient business? Is that when you want to make the, the change in the business model? Because listen, I can tell you, um, 
I, I talked to you about the industries that weren't successful. I also looked at, okay, what about some industries that successfully changed their business model? I looked at IT companies. You know what it took? I, I, I identified a, a scholar, Jeffrey Moore, who's actually looked mm -hmm. at the business model transformation in technology. And he describes a J curve. And that is just looks like a J. And what happens is if you look at the baseline and then the J, the first part of the J goes down below the baseline and then it comes up and hits the baseline and, and turns positive above the baseline. That's your financial performance when you change the business model. And what he showed was that for the IT companies that changed their business model during that period of time, it took about three years to return to profitability. Guess what? That is almost exactly what it took for St. Luke's Health System. We returned to really? profitability on value business in three years. Now, so let me tell you, before I pulled the switch, we spent seven years preparing. Then the three years of losses if you wait until you're forced to make this change, are you going to have 10 years to make it? Are you even going to have three years to make it? Mm -hmm. Do you want to take three years of losses in value at the same time you're taking years of losses in fee-for-service? Or do you want to do it how I did it and take your losses in value at a time when your fee-for-service was still profitable to help uh, get you through that? The biggest yeah. problem you're going to have is uh, if, if you follow the same J-curve IT did and the same J-curve we did at St. Luke's, is when you go down, that's when people's confidence is going to be shaken. Your board members, your leadership, and they're like, oh my gosh, it's going down. It's going to go down. The question is, do you stick with it? And we learned from another health system that was ahead of us, tried to make that change, but they weren't prepared in the mindset for those initial losses, started having those losses, flip back and said, hey, let's uh, enough of this value. Let's go back to, to fee-for-service. Yeah. So, And now they're trying to do it now. So I, I just think, yes, there's risk in making this change, but don't ignore that there's risk in not making the change. Thank you for that. I want to go back to also something you mentioned earlier that is very much on the minds of our clients right now, and I think it'll be for a while, which is the fear that patients are, the fear that patients are afraid to come to the hospital or even yeah. come to, to their doctor's office. And maybe even some employees are afraid to be in their own system. How... Yeah. How, do, how's it, how as a CEO, do you think about that? And how do you assuage someone's not unreasonable concern given the, the media attention this has received? Well, uh, David, I think that's an important factor because we're seeing the evidence that across the country, people are not coming into the emergency room for some things that they probably should. For me, when I think about it, when you, when you talk about people's fear, people's trust. So how do you address somebody's fears and somebody's lack of trust? Well, I think the first thing is you be genuine with them, you communicate to them, and you inform and educate them. And then you show them that you're actually doing the things that you're saying. Those things will instill confidence and trust. And I think this is a time, I mean, you know, our, our 
TVs, cables, internet have been, you know, just blown up with all this uh, stuff about patients dying and, you know, the, the, the morgue trucks and, uh, you know, just some horrible stuff. It's real, right. but it's horrible. And yes. it's getting time where we need to change the conversation. And, and I think that we can't rely on the press or media to do that necessarily. We need to put that on their plate. We need to come to them and say, look, here's an opportunity to do a real public service. We know across the country that people are sitting at home with chest pain and not coming to the emergency room and then having a cardiac death at home instead of coming to the emergency room because they're afraid. These these fears are not irrational, but they're probably not well-informed. So you can help that. And so let's take you to our hospital. Let's show you, here's what we do at our emergency rooms. Here's how we kind of redesign the whole process. This is how we ensure that people that might have this scary infection are keeping uh, being kept separate from people who were not concerned about that. And here's the extra precautions we're taking in terms of cleaning, in terms of wearing masks, in terms of social distancing, and ensure all these different kinds of things that that we're doing. And then you got to educate and you got to tell people, look, if if you're having chest pain at home and it is the precursor to a heart attack or you're having some weakness or slurred speech and that is the precursor to a stroke, you are in far more danger staying at home than you are coming into the emergency room and incurring what you think the risk is of COVID, you're still going to be better off coming in. Let us tell you why you don't even need to be so worried about COVID, but let us also make sure you understand you're putting yourself at greater risk by staying home. I like that a lot. And that, that could be a good message for individuals, and particularly individuals, family members who, you know, influence their decision to come to a hospital yeah. or not. Yeah, that's, that's, that's right. It's an opportunity for us to tell our story and to tell, hey, these are the things we're doing to keep you safe. And, you know, the time is coming when, at least in parts of the country, we're going to be reopening up so-called elective surgeries and so forth. We're going to have to do the same thing. We've got to send a message out and educate so that we help people understand how we are keeping them safe and the, the lengths that we're going to to keep them safe, but to also provide some services that many people need because they're in pain, they're limited in their movement, other things that they, they need to have this. It didn't make sense to do it when we were in the throes of this crisis, but here's why it makes sense to do it now. And here's the steps that we're taking to keep mm-hmm. you safe. And it sounds like what you're describing is something that's that's fairly explicit for uh, consumers. Yeah, and very. We're, doing, we're taking this step and this step and this step because the more informed they are, the more they're able to make well-informed decisions. Yeah, and and I would I would look for the opportunities to uh, showcase your staff, your doctors. Some of these messages will be better mm-hmm. received coming from a doctor, and so you know, figure out what the message is and who's the right person to deliver the message. 
And also, is there an opportunity for you just to highlight the amazing heroism of our employees or the great things that they're doing or the the patient stories of people who you know, were scared, but had this big problem and how they came in and how the hospital took care of everything. They felt very safe and secure. There's a lot of ways to do this. And and this is a great opportunity for us, David. Again, just do my flashback to 2019. If you were leading a hospital or a health system in 2019, you were being bombarded with, you're doing surprise billing, your prices are too high, you're not transparent. I I mean, there were not a whole lot of good stories about hospitals and health systems that I remember in 2019. In fact, they were stories that were actually undermining the trust that communities would have in their hospitals and health systems. And I I know Winston Churchill wasn't the first to say it, but this, this whole business of never let a good crisis go to waste Here's your opportunity, hospitals and health systems. I don't know of anybody other than maybe, you know, firefighters and first responders who are more appreciated than hospitals and healthcare workers right now. Turn on your TV sets when they're not showing you the morgue uh, trucks. They're showing you people lined up clapping or flashing lights or whatever, celebrating healthcare workers as they're leading the hospital. Hey, this is the time we get to tell our story. Hey, this is what hospitals do. This is why we're critical to your community. We were there for you in this time of crisis, and we helped see everybody through, and we showed up to work even when we're putting ourselves at risk because we care that much about you. Great time for us to tell our story great time for us to change the the narrative and the rhetoric. We shouldn't let this go. It's a great point. I, I think it's an excellent point for, for hospitals and health systems themselves, but also the associations and their their political bodies. Yeah, um, absolutely. Given where, the, given where the money comes from. So you're, you're, you're leaning into the discussion of value and population health. And, you know, we just conducted a survey of a thousand adults around the country asking them a variety of questions. And, I want to get your thoughts on this. We had one question where we asked, uh, agree or disagree? The outbreak of coronavirus has caused me to be more focused on my overall health. And I intend to live a healthier lifestyle, like eating healthier and exercising more, moving forward into the future. Do you agree or disagree? 83% said they agree mm-hmm. that they're going to be yep. healthier. They're going to act healthier, be healthier. My first reaction hey. is, Dr. Pate, do you think that's true? I think it's true. I wonder how long lived it is. But there you go again. If that's true, it's another reason to get into value because if they're taking care of, better care of themselves, you're going to have lower healthcare costs. And conversely, if it does turn out to be true and people actually do it, it's not good for fee for service. So, you know, so I would, you know, I think it will be true for a while. And so there's a role there then for providers of all stripes to encourage that feed it. And, and again, as you say, the, the, the focus on value and population health. Yeah. Know, and, and, sales. Yeah. And, and David, to your point on the population health, who knew that it would be a pandemic that would actually put population health right in our face? 
if you are paying attention to what's going on, you're seeing that in the U.S., those that have been most impacted by COVID, whether it's in terms of cases or hospitalizations or deaths, it's those that are in minorities, particularly those that are in disadvantaged communities, there are disparities in healthcare. I don't mean that somebody's doing something purposely bad. I'm just saying that people are not having equal opportunity to good health. And that maybe before you thought that's their problem, we've seen in this outbreak, it becomes our problem. Because when those people get seriously ill, we're taking care of them. And so, you know, I think more than ever, it's the, the time to acknowledge that uh, not only do we need to improve our own health, but people are probably saying that because they've made the connection. If your health's not as good, you're not going to do as well in these situations. And that's exactly what we've seen. So now, instead of the focus, again, that fee-for-service places on us, which does not reward population health at all, you know, is this the time to move to value where actually we can spend a lot more of our effort and resources on just trying to improve people's health? And you go back to um, you go back to a uh, workforce that may have suffered some demoralization. You go back to some physicians that are struggling with burnout. You tell them, hey we're going to double down on actually improving people's health. We're going to make a difference in their lives. We're going to reach out to these communities and bring it. Who's not going to get inspired by that? Who's not yeah. going to want to be a part of that? And so I think it's another thing for us to think about. It's, that's such a good point. And, I, and I'm, I'm thinking of our adult population now who are severing levels of unemployment. Yeah. That I, I don't remember my lifetime. Right? And many of those had insurance 60 days ago don't. The focus on uh, their personal health may, may be more than just maybe it's triggered by the pandemic, but it's not limited to that. It's I got to stay healthy now because I can't afford anything else. I've got, exactly. I've got one more question for you, and I'm, I'm going to uh, circle back to a, a leadership team um, and its relationship with the board. Because I'm, yes. I'm wondering how, you, how you're thinking now about the job of the board. If you're a board member, of a sophisticated health system, or even a, not that it's unsophisticated, but a smaller health system, or even a sole provider. The operators operate, and their job is to make the system run and, and get through these moments and think ahead. What's the right job of the board today? What, or maybe another way to say it, what, what are the one or two questions that good board members should be asking today? Yeah, that's a great point. Obviously, in the here and now, the board needs to be priced and, and keep in mind to the extent your board is made up of lay members and i understand probably a lot of hospitals and health systems do have physicians on their board but probably the bulk of these boards are lay persons this is largely all new to them so i think that if i was a board member i'm going to want to know about what were the things we did really well and make sure that we preserve that? What were the things that caught us by surprise uh, we weren't well prepared for? 
what do we need to prepare for the next one? Because I've got bad news for everybody. There will be a next one. This is not the United States' first pandemic. It won't be the last one. I don't know if it's two years from now or 10 years from now or 20 years from now, but we've got another one coming. And so what do we what do we learn from this? What can we do better? How can we be better prepared? And I think if you haven't got lessons from this, then you weren't paying attention. There's lots of lessons uh, from this, including, uh, and, and I'll just speak for my former health system. I was very excited about data analytics, but let me tell you, during this crisis, data analytics became hugely important. And what we saw is the real time value and applicability of having data, having uh, data could then be used to inform decisions that could actually be made to make projections and help us be predictive. So I think one of those things is going to be, what was our status? Did we have enough investment in this area? Do we need to do more? And because it's, you don't have data analytics so you can manage pandemics, but the point is there's so much utility to it and it is going to be what's going to help us improve the value of care in the future. How do we develop that and make that more, more robust? So I think there needs to be kind of an assessment of what went well, what are the opportunities and what are we going to do to be better prepared? So that's kind of in the here and now. But then the next question needs to be, where are we going from here? What So does this change anything? Do we just go back to uh, life as usual? Are we going back to fee-for-service? What, what does this do to our strategy? Do we need a new strategy? Do we need a new direction? Are we going to take a different role in our communities? What are we going to do? And I think this is a perfect time or will shortly be the perfect time to start having those discussions and thinking about what is the right direction for us. Well, as long as this, the, the questions are simple and um, compartmentalized, it ought to be fine. Yeah. Those are the right questions. And those are big, those are big questions for, for health system days. They're looking to make, you know, multi-million dollar capital investments and yeah. and deal with their with the workforce and also I do what as trustees they are designed to do, which is to be entrusted, not just with the health system, but with the health of their community. Yeah. Great question. Well, and, and I think the other thing is back to what you and I discussed a little bit earlier, David, and that is, okay, what did we learn from this that might change how we deliver care in the future? You and I have had a long discussion about telehealth. I yeah. would think... It's a pretty reasonable question for a board member to ask and say, okay, we had to rely a lot on telehealth. What's its role in the future? Do we do more? Do we do less? Why? Do we do it differently? And, and so I think that needs to be a question. I think the other thing that should be apparent to every healthcare leader, and hopefully, particularly to board members that are well-connected, is things did change about how we deliver care. So... As an example, so my wife had an appointment with a doctor. She had uh, broken her arm. She had surgery back in December before all of this. And she had an appointment to go see her orthopedist and to have an x-ray and check and see, is she all set to go? Is everything good? So what happened with COVID is we got a call saying, we're not going to do the office visit. 
just go get the x-ray and we'll call you. So the question is, did we need that office visit even without COVID? If we can do it without the office visit today, why did we need it back then? And is that just something being driven by fee for service? Uh, was that really a low value office visit? Because actually all the doctor was going to do is say, hi, check your x-ray and say you're great. When they could do that over the phone and with the x-ray uh -huh. on the computer. That's just one example. There's lots of things that we've done differently to manage this and to, to contain the risk. And I would ask you, which of those things actually made it better for our patients because we didn't require them to take time out of their days. We didn't require them to travel. We didn't require them to pay for parking. We didn't require them to take off from work, et cetera. And we yeah. fully met their needs because my wife's just as happy with the phone call saying her x-ray is fine than if we'd gone in the office and they said your x-ray is fine. She's happy with that. And, and so what things could we actually learn from this to say, hey, you know, there, there is a lot of unnecessary stuff. It's waste. We're taking up doctor's time. In a time when I think most hospitals and health systems are trying to figure out how do we improve access to our doctors, we'll start with cutting out the stuff they don't need to be doing. On the other hand, if there's stuff we did during COVID that we don't think was ideal, well, then of course let's not perpetuate that. But that we need to have a look at what did we learn in terms of how we deliver care through this. That's great. Dr. Pate, I feel like we could talk for three more hours. There's so much here. <laughs> and and so much more to continue talking about. Yeah. Well, I'll look forward to some continued discussions because I do think this is an interesting time. And, you know, first of all, I want to say to uh, whoever's listening to this, let me tell you, I've never been more inspired by healthcare leaders, healthcare workers, caregivers, everybody. I, I'm tremendously inspired by what you have done and the way you've risen to this challenge. And so thank you for that. And, and I think let's first just celebrate the wonderful people we have. But then as soon as we're done celebrating, let's think about the future and let's not let this be a missed opportunity. Dr. Bay, thank you for this conversation in this time. And I look forward to the next time that we'll have together. Same here, David. Thank you.